I titled the sermon, Four in the Fire. Four in the Fire. And uh, you may be familiar with this story, but boy, there's all kinds of things that just jumped out to me as I studied that I can't wait to, to share with you. Now, last week, we remember toward the end of where we left off, Nebuchadnezzar, this, this king that is the head of gold, as it were, described by God, he's, a, he's a, an impressive king because of God. His, his domain is, 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 is there because of God. He issues a challenge to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he says this, who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? As if he is a sovereign himself. What a challenge. This is blasphemous for him to say. Oh, little king, to put a challenge out like this. Well, you know this. You never put the Lord your God to the test. And God is not some trickster up there that has to prove himself to anyone. But this challenge, the sovereign God of all of creation accepted. And we are about to see how he will make this king eat his words. So, let's see how this goes. Now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they have basically responded with defiance. We will not bow, live, or die, right? We know that God is able to deliver us, but, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow. So you can throw us in your furnace, you can do whatever you want. We will not bow to this 90-foot-tall statue of gold and worship it. It is a non-thing. There is nothing there but a pile of gold. And this resolve now has to be backed up. It's one thing to say the words. It's another thing to live the words. That's a little more challenging. So let's see how this all unfolds. Facing the furnace and trusting God. If you're new to our church, on the back of the bulletin, we always encourage folks to take notes. You can kind of follow the flow of the sermon and see the structure of the text uh, as you do that. Facing the furnace and trusting God, verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered that the furnace uh, be heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of uh, the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. If, if you're wondering if this was a, an imposing scene, you see the extra descriptions. It's burning, and it's fiery, and it's a furnace. If you're a person, you're not looking to find yourself in one of those. So this is how this unfolds. The time for speaking is done. Now it's the time for action. You've got, you got to deal with the consequences of your, um, your resolve. And they face the furnace. You might find that moment where it, you know, you're standing in front of the king and you're like, do your worst. Do, do what you've got to do. We're not going to bow. But then they start, they, they start to tie you up. And all of a sudden, it's getting very real. And then you see the furnace. And it is a burning, fiery furnace. And then you begin to feel the heat and and oh, how easy it would be to say, oh, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. I was just playing, right? I'll, I'll bow, you know? None of that here. None of that. The resolve is set. We will face what we will face. You have a red-faced king and a red-hot 
furnace. I think the, the way this, this, this flows, there's purpose here to, to see the face of the king changed and, and what you saw in his face was ramped up in the furnace. He said, listen, turn that thing up seven times to what it normally is heated. The irony of this is that the hotter the furnace, the quicker the death, right? So, so in his anger, he's not thinking, you know, torture as much. He's just like, kill him. Turn it up, make it hot, make it scary. And they would have died much quicker in a furnace that's superheated. But that's what he says. Now, here's the thing. You, you can't picture a furnace in this day with a dial. This is not, you know, propane and, and, and you get the furnace cranked like your grill. There's no dial on this thing. It is simply throw more wood on the fire and open any vents. Make this furnace fired like never before seven times hotter is another way of saying basically make it as hot as possible it's the number of completion seven times turn it up to the max it's helpful for us to kind of have in our mind what might this furnace have looked like so don't think bonfire it's not just out in the open it's not just a bonfire it's a furnace okay so what does that mean we're we're talking about wind air flowing in at the bottom and some kind of uh, channel that, that's, that's sending the heat out the top so it superheats in this, this space. The other thing to remember is Nebuchadnezzar's a builder. He just constructed a 90-foot statue plated with gold. He likes to go big. So this, the purpose of this furnace is not to, you know, to cook bricks. It's to cook people, to scare them into submission. So this would have likely been a very imposing, very public and purposeful um, furnace constructed in its location. Think if if you're building gallows, you build gallows to to put a public display of execution on. That would likely be the way this was constructed. So the best that I can conceive of from the little cues and details we see in the text is that this is probably a ground-level construction that goes up into the air and that there's some type of door that you would open to clear out after you've had the fire, clear out the debris. And then there are windows likely to allow air in. And, and so they channel air into the fire and a very tall uh, stack that would, that would condense the heat at the top and force it out the top. So you would have this natural rise and pull, much like a, a chimney on, on a house, right? In a fireplace. The other thing that seems to be part of this, as you look at and, and, and we'll see in the text, is that there was some type of entrance where these, those who were being executed were thrown in. So there was a fall involved. They were cast into this furnace. Um, and so the, the, there's likely some kind of a ramp or, or a very public display where there's a point where all of a sudden they're in. There they go. Okay, so you'll kind of see this. This might not be exactly what it looked like, but you have to kind of have an imagination of this is likely something of what it may have looked like as you read through this account. So Nebuchadnezzar has these mighty men. And this really jumped out at me, the contrast. Okay, you've got these mighty men. These are, these are warriors of Babylon. These guys have, they, they have won in military conquests everywhere they've gone. They, they are the victors. These are warlords. 
These are the scariest, most intimidating, mighty men. The mighty men who are the most valiant. And they are assigned to bind three Jewish teenage boys. The contrast here would have been significant. And I think the text has the detail in there for us to catch this. If we were to look just visibly and say, well, who's stronger? What is the better display of strength? Immediately would be drawn visibly to the mighty men. But as the story unfolds, you begin to say, huh, it may indeed be that the stronger men in view are these three probably much smaller Jewish boys. Teenagers, remember? They're they're still probably teenagers at this time. The other contrast in view here is they are defying the king. The mighty men have earned reputation by what? Showing total allegiance to the king, laying their lives down to do whatever he says. They, uh, they jump right when he says jump. It's not a question of will we, it's how high will we jump. And so they have gained rank and acclaim by doing what Nebuchadnezzar says. That contrast is also in view. So these mighty men begin to tie up these three Jewish boys. And how many there are, we don't know. Um, uh, It's just a scene. This is all very public. There's people gathered around. This is all an important step in the process of, of intimidation. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats. They had their hats on, guys. Right? You don't burn my hat. Whatever. Don't burn my hat. But they had their, their good hat on. And, and, and they're tying them up. They're, they're fully clothed. Their hats, their other garments, they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. Now because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell, they fell, bound into the fiery, the burning fiery furnace. Okay, so again, these details matter. This is how the moment unfolds. And there's very significant things taking place here. First of all, the detail given about their clothes. Why is that important? Why Why would Daniel want us to see that detail? The Lord has preserved that for us. Well, in this day, most executions, you would look at someone who is about to die and say, I'll, I'll take that. I, I like that hat. I'll keep that coat, you know. The urgency of the command was, take him right here, right in their clothes. Um, and uh, so there's no concern about, you know, who gets their clothes, who, who gets the guy's hat. It's going to burn. All of it, burn it. Just do it now. The other significant thing is that they bind them with ropes, okay? So here they are bound. Likely their feet were not bound because they had to go to, you know, up to the, 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 the door to be thrown in. Um, but they were probably torso wrapped completely all the way down so that there was no way that they could escape or, or, or cushion their landing as they were thrown, likely head first into the furnace. So remember that. Okay? They're bound with ropes on top of their clothes. That'll be significant in a few minutes. The other thing is this. The mighty men perish. Trying to throw them into the furnace, these men of valor are consumed with the fire. 
guarantee you Nebuchadnezzar did not see that coming. This thing is so superheated that the scene is just a, a, a raging inferno. And as they get up this ramp of some sort to where the, the entrance to this inferno is, the heat just begins to just radiate on these guys. And these soldiers, they're not prepared. They didn't do any extra covering, you know, to, to face the heat. Here they are. And the closer they get, the hair on their arms begins to singe off and they're heating up. And it gets to the point where they're about to tip them in and the flame of fire reaches out and strikes them all dead in that moment. They are burned right there. Not in the furnace, but just at the gate of the furnace or the entrance of the furnace. And then in go Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So everyone's watching this. And, and what happens when they catch fire? Well, they burn. They are, they're dead. They, they're dead. So the, the smell would be awful. The view is just a, it's a horrible scene. And there goes some renowned mighty men of Babylon. Gone. So you might say, well, well you know, they, they took a few guys out on their way out. Interesting. Well, there's more. They fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. I got stuck on that, and I'm just thinking, okay, I tend to think fire only. you got to also think fall in this moment. They're, they're, they fell bound. That's an important little detail. So they're falling. They're, they're thrown into the blaze, into this furnace. There's no way they can cushion their landing or, or land in such a way that it won't harm them. How far, how far they fell, we don't know. But they, they fall completely bound into the furnace. Now, those details will show significant impact in the coming verses. Let's see here how this goes. The fourth man is what I call these next couple of verses. The fourth man. Verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound and walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. This is astonishing, an amazing moment. So as soon as, as Nebuchadnezzar gets past the, 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 the burning of his mighty men, right there on the ramp in front of his eyes, he turns his eyes to see. Now, this, is, this tells us a little more about Nebuchadnezzar. Wherever he is seated would have been far enough from the blaze, but, so, so he's not feeling the heat, but close enough to have at least a vent or a window where he can sit and watch people burn to death. That's his setup. This, this, that's how it's arranged. And he looks in, hoping to see what he assumes is the demise of the, the, those who defy him, and he is absolutely astonished at what he sees. The men are unbound, and they are walking around, but there's not just three. So it's kind of a funny scene. Like He's like, hey guys, I, hold on. I thought on this one we just threw three in, right? It was just three this time, right? Yeah, it was. Well, what, what's the fourth? What's going on here? There's four in the fire. Fascinating. This may have been what it looked like, some type of, uh, of opening where he's able to look in there and see these men walking around. Now, 
It's significant for us to note this. They are unbound and unharmed. Walking around, there's four of them. So what happened to the ropes that were placed tightly around the garments as they bound them? The ropes burned completely. They're gone. The ropes are gone. The garments are still there. And they're walking around in the fire. Who is the fourth man? Who is the fourth man? Well, there's a lot of speculation on this, but I am increasingly convinced as I spent time here in the text. I can't say that, that, that I would uh, be able to say this 100%, but I am very confident here that this is indeed the pre-incarnate Son of God. That, that this is the Son of God. One of the appearances in the Old Testament of Christ Himself before He came in the Christmas story that we celebrate and took upon human flesh. There are points along the way throughout the Old Testament that we refer to as theophanies. They are manifestations of God. And there are points that I would point to as well that, are, that I would call Christophanies. They are um, pre-incarnate or pre-flesh-taking Son of God appearances. A lot of times you find this when you read uh, the angel of the Lord. The, not just an angel from the Lord, but the angel of the Lord. That's often Jesus Christ before he took on human form uh, in the incarnation. So when you start putting this together, you realize what's taking place here. It's truly remarkable. Remember the apostles, Peter, James, and John, on the Mount of Transfiguration when they were there with Jesus and he was transfigured before their eyes. And, and they saw Glimpses of His glory, the true, the Son of God. And how much they treasured that moment. These men were having a moment like that in the Old Testament before the Incarnation with God in the furnace. I was struck by this because the reality is is that if they would have bowed, they would have missed that. If they would have compromised, if they would have said, you know, listen, the pressure's too much. I won't do it. I I don't want to die. They would have missed the defining moment of their lives. This was the moment they would never, ever forget. And it wasn't just because they should have been burning. It was that God himself was there with them in the furnace. Oh, friends, the same rings true in our lives, does it not? There are days that God has planned that are hard, hard days. A sovereign God is able to use not just good days. He is able to plan and ordain and bring to pass trials that we can count joy, count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of various kinds. Ultimately, God can work and use the trials to meet us and grow us and even show us a level of intimacy and closeness that we would never know apart from them. There is a way to fellowship in the midst of the fire. I've seen it in some of your lives. If you've gone through trials, you've seen, you've seen how He ministers Oh, he's close. He's there. He sustains. He encourages. We'll say more about that in a few minutes. 
there is happening before Nebuchadnezzar's eyes a fellowship. They are walking around unbound, unharmed, and enjoying the most significant interaction of their lives. It's like Nebuchadnezzar who? <laughs> Furnace where? What? Like, we're with the Lord. I, I have an imagination, so we're camping this weekend, you know, and we built a pretty good-sized fire, and I was thinking, because I've been studying this all week, man, I just wish I could pick one of these up and just be like, that's on fire. Um, don't do that, okay? Like, I, that inclination has to just run right out the other ear. Um, no, just because the Lord did it here doesn't mean that He's going to do that or that you should go walk on coals at that next, you know, leadership retreat. Um, but what a treasure this would be. Imagine all the people they talk to. These are teenagers. They've got all their lives ahead of them. They're in pagan Babylon under persecution, like, like fierce persecution. And here they are with God. Who would have thought in that moment? Reminds us of Isaiah's prophecy. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When uh, through the rivers you go, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. The flame shall not consume you. Why? How's that possible? Answer, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. His response is, who is sovereign? Answer, God, not Nebuchadnezzar. Who will deliver you out of his hands? The God of Israel, the Holy One. He is the Lord he is God. Fully delivered from the flames, verses 26 and 27. This is, the story just gets more fascinating. This moment would have just echoed through Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace and declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of, listen now, the Most High God. Those words come out of the king's mouth. And he, he calls them, come out and come here. Now, this would have been a raging fire. And with the wind and, and all that's going on, he's, his voice is raised. He's shouting into them as close as he can possibly get without being overcome by the heat, even through the door, I imagine. He's feeling this radiating, intense heat. Then, out comes... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fire. They walk out. Just the three of them now. The fourth man is gone. He was with them in the furnace. And he's not there in view any longer. The king came near. You've got to think at a point along the way, maybe, maybe Nebuchadnezzar's thinking, well, this, this, there's something going on. Maybe I can do it. Maybe I can go in there. Maybe it won't hurt me. And you know, as he got closer to that, that inferno, he's feeling the heat. And, and he's just even more like, what in the world? How is this possible? He feels the heat on his face and shouts and has them, has them come out. He says, servants of the Most High God. Now, this echoes back to the early two chapters, right? That he should know this. 
He should know this. Maybe, I mean, right at this point, our hope is high. Maybe this is the point where he bends his knee, where he gives up his pride and says, I am not God. I am wrong. I am a sinner. And he turns to the one true God. Maybe. We'll see. So the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the king's counselors, they all gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power, they had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had even come upon them. Now, coming home from the church camp out, man, I, I had my clothes in the, in the closet. I walked in there, and it was like, whoa, man, someone's been camping. That is a power. Smoke is very intense to smell. But you got to replay the scene in your mind. Think of this. These guys come out from the flames, and they are chilling. They, they are nice and cool. They're probably not a bead of sweat on their forehead. And they, they all gather around, and they're like, dude, you still got your hat. That's your good hat. It didn't even burn. You have your hair. Look at this. And then at one point, someone is like, I can't even smell smoke. How is this possible? Answer, God. That's how. That's how. What an amazing display. It is, as they said before, to Nebuchadnezzar's face. Our God is able. If he wants to do this, he can do this. He can deliver us out of your hands. <laughs> there is no one who can overcome our sovereign God. Now, whether he'll do it or not, we don't know. But we know he can. And sure enough, he did. In this moment, he did. Friends, those three words, that short little sentence will change your life. Just know that. Resolve to trust that no matter what you face. God is able. He is able. He is sovereign. What a bedrock that lays for the life of the believer. No matter what we face, He is God. He is God. And He's good. Now, I always want to add that this is descriptive, not prescriptive. Right? So... so just, just remember, there, there isn't a call here for us to all go out and, and fire up the, the bonfire and then jump in and hope that we're going to be cool. You know, don't do that. Uh, uh, as much as I wanted to try it out at the camp out, when I reached out with the, the hot dog stick or the, the marshmallow stick, I felt the heat, right? It's there. So what this text shows us is what God can do if it is His sovereign will and according to his all-wise plan in that situation. And he did it. However, if you study church history for any length of time, you will find over and over and over how many men and women of God trusted the Lord and did not bow, wouldn't recant, and stood tall, and they were burned at the stake by real fire that consumed them and they were taken up to glory. Were their souls endangered by the flames? Not in the slightest. But God can rescue from the fire, and He can 
it removed from the fire by taking the soul to be at home with him. Even though the body burns, it will be raised. Remember that from last week. He is able. That doesn't mean he does the same thing in every situation. Now the king eats his words. The last two verses. These are fascinating verses. The king eats his words. This man whose head has grown large on his own power and control, thinking that his glory is the glory and that everyone should bow before his image, he has been brought down. He said these words, as, uh, who, who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? And now listen to his words. Just a few verses later, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted him, by the way, setting aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. These are words of commendation. Nebuchadnezzar not only blesses God, but he is looking at these three men and saying, I see strength. I see confidence. I see resolve here. These men know who they will worship, and they stood tall. And even Nebuchadnezzar has to acknowledge that is legit. That is incredible. The sad part for me is this. Blessed be the God of. You see what he's saying? He's not saying, blessed be my God, the God who is. And turning from all his polytheistic non-gods, he is saying, those guys have quite a God. I was hoping that there would be more something more owned, something more of, of, of a surrender, of a bowing, of a turning from pride. We don't see that here. And we, don't, we won't see that. Uh, well, well, we'll see it next week. The Lord continues His work in this man. Hmm. Therefore, He makes a decree. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, I'm going to change his name into a verb here. He Nebuchadnezzar's. It's what he does. It's how he thinks. This, listen to how he responds now. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Now, this is his inclination. This is the way that he attaches himself to it. I'm going to make a decree, and I'm going to threaten these people. I'm going to kill some more people if need be. Don't be bashing on the God of these three guys. Now, especially as he pronounces this, the Chaldeans, right? The, the, the guys that stirred this whole thing up. He's probably looking at them and saying, back off. Otherwise, I'll do what I do. Hmm. Who else can rescue like this? Isn't that a great line? No one else can rescue. No other God can rescue like their God. I would bring that into our time and place and ask the same question. Who else can rescue like our God? There are people in this room who could tell story after story after story of the incredible kindness and mercy and grace and power 
of God who met us in our rebellion and sin and brought us from death to life. Who else could do that? Answer, no one. No one. There's no self-help guru. There's no false god uh, religion. No amount of climbing stairs or rolling beads or whipping your back with chains. None of that will rescue. No one but God. No one but God. If you're here today and you are searching, I got good news for you. Search is over. This is what you need. You need the God who is able. The God who saves sinners like you and me. Religious protection is handed out. Now, don't put a lot of stock in this. <laughs> it's wonderful when it's there. And frankly, it's, it's a blessing beyond just these three men, these three teenage boys. They, they have stood their ground and God has given now a, a protection, at least for a time, to all of the Jews who would now seek to be faithful to worship the Lord. How long will it last? Probably not long. God's people most often find themselves in unprotected lands, loyal and faithful to worship Him. The king also promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. And oh, this must have just burned those Chaldeans. They, they set out to take these teenage boys down a few notches. In fact, if they're going to be burned, great. Just get rid of them altogether. Now, those Chaldeans are not only still under these three teenage Jewish boys, but those guys got promoted and they got, uh, what's the word, uh, basically demoted. They, they, they got scolded for attacking what they were doing. It's truly incredible. The Chaldeans' plan backfired. It completely backfired. Now, isn't that just like God? Isn't that just like God? To take a plan that seems like the very final thing, it's all going to fall apart, oh, it's disaster, and then whoosh, flip it completely around and accomplish far more than we could ever even ask. Or imagine. Hmm. That's our God. He is able. He is able. Our response this morning, two primary things to point to. Number one, this. Only Jesus. Who else can save like this? Answer, only Jesus. There is only one Savior of sinners the world over. It doesn't matter what culture, it doesn't matter what time you live, uh, where uh, you, you find yourself, or what your past is, there is only one Savior of sinners, His name is Jesus, and He is the hope that you need today. Only He can save. When the reality of the fire that we have stored up because of our sin comes into view, and oh friends, there is fire, there is, let's be clear, it's called hell. There is eternal fire. We're not, we're not talking about some little tiny furnace here. We're talking unending wrath in the form of unquenchable fire, Jesus says. That awaits those who, who run against the will of God to do what they want. It awaits those who declare themselves sovereign and stiff-arm the God who is to live as if He doesn't exist to ignore His Word, to worship ourselves. That is a place that is waiting for all, 
for all who reject Jesus Christ. But there's good news. When you come to Jesus and look to Him as Savior and Lord, when you turn from your sin and you run and embrace Him with all your hope, guess what? You fear no fire. The wrath has been paid in full on the cross. Jesus lived in obedience and then He laid His life down so that He would take all of the wrath from the Father such that when He says it's finished, it there's not a hair on your body that will singe under the righteous wrath of God. Not a hair. You will not smell of smoke. You will be His glorious, saved, kept saint. All because of His work. Only Jesus can save. Every other Savior is a non-thing. It's a false God. It's from the pits of hell. Look to Him, run to Him, embrace Him, and you will be held secure. You will fear no fire. Secondly, this. When you find yourself in this life walking through trials, when you find yourself struggling through just adversity and, and challenges, and sometimes it's physical, right? There's so many in this room that I know you've, you've gone through. Even right now, you're wrestling with physical battles, hardships. Maybe it's a spiritual struggle. Someone that you love is, is walking away from the Lord. Someone that you love is hurting deeply. Maybe it's a marital struggle. Maybe it's a children thing. Who knows? I mean, whatever it is, there is, even in the midst of the fire, a fellowship to be found. There is fellowship that awaits in the fire. There is fellowship in the fire that you would not know but for the fire. Sometimes God loves us enough to put us in the furnace so that we will look up and see Him in a way we would have never paused to see Him. I love the fact that there was four in the fire. Not one. Not even two. Think of this. God Himself was with them, but they were also together. Oh, friends, this church is so good for us. We need one another. We need one another. And as we gather together and God is with us, we fellowship. That is a kind of fellowship that even in the midst of fire, it's precious. What does God do through the furnace of affliction and trial? Here's a list. Oftentimes, He will point out our sins. And bring us into a greater humility. This is his love. Oh, how pride can easily well up in our lives. And affliction and trial will often chisel us to a greater dependence, a deeper abiding in Christ. We might find that we're quicker to pray as we've gone through trials and hardships. How easy it is to think that we can just walk and just figure it out on our own. And a trial is good for us. That self-reliance is brought down and we find ourselves on our knees saying, Lord, I can't, I can't, but you are able. Help me. I look to you. We often are equipped with a softer heart for those who are hurting with us, alongside us, or others who have shared a common journey. I've seen this all the time in the church. Someone will be like, oh my goodness, that's my story too. Let's get together. I want to encourage you. What a beautiful thing to see. 
We find a deeper delight in the glory of God. That is the reason we are created. That is the reason we are alive today. And that is our ultimate experience forever, is to be absolutely lost in His glory. Sometimes the fire focuses that, right? Away from fickle little flames, short-lived little pleasures of this world or kingdoms that would try to pull our heart. No, worship and bow before the God of all glory. Given increased hunger for the Word of God, sometimes in the midst of the fires, God's Word has just provided that nourishment, that soul need, that ache is there, and His Word just meets us. We taste the infinite power of God as we see Him at work. We experience the sustaining grace of God as He meets us day by day. The abiding mercy and love of God are felt in new ways. We sing songs like, How great is your faithfulness. Oh, friends, if you have experiences of trial and fire, that song is meaningful in ways that otherwise it would not be. Our God is sovereign over all of these things. The kindness and faithfulness of God, the encouragement of God's people, the list goes on, right? When all of a sudden you're struggling, you're in a trial, and someone shows up at your house with a meal, just just to show God's love to you and communicate care and concern. They come and pray. They come alongside you at church. How you doing? I've been praying for you this week. Oh, yes, that's fellowship in the fire. The list goes on and on. Why do we meet with adversity? Why do we often as believers find ourselves in the midst of trials? It is not because God is unable to prevent them. Know this. It is because God is at work in the midst of them to show himself faithful and glorious and to strengthen and build us up to be the people he intends us to be. Let's pray. Sovereign God, we joyfully and without reservation bow before you. As the Almighty Creator, the God of all glory, the one to whom all worship is due, you are the one that we look to, both on the sunny days and the stormy days. You are the one that we need every day. We thank you for ordaining good days, pleasant breezes and sunshine and, and, and just, just calm and, and, and wonderful days to enjoy fellowship you, with you. But we, we also, oh God, we thank you We count it all joy when we encounter trials of various kinds. We know that even there, you're at work. You're showing yourself faithful and loving, and and you're kind to grow us even through the furnace of affliction. We give praise to you for the faithfulness of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We give praise to you for their, their refusal to bow like everyone around them. We pray that you would strengthen us to that, Lord, and use our lives to point to you, the the only God, the only one who can save from sin. We thank you, Jesus, for the good news that we carry and, and the name that we point to in you. We pray that you would use us even this week as we go out to point as many as possible to see the hope that is found in you alone. Only you can save in this way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.